Bible. But tonight's going to be a really fun night. I just got a kick out of that today. I was sending them my verses, and then I was like, no, I can't. We're not putting that one up on the screen. I'm just going to read it out of my own Bible to you guys tonight. But last week, we started sort of a mini-series, a little two-part series called, What Does God Say? Because it's so important for you and I, people who call ourselves Christians or followers of Jesus or whatever your preferred term is, to understand why we believe what we believe. I don't just believe these things because somebody tells me them on a Sunday morning or because I read a book about it. It's really important for me in my own time, for my own benefit, to go to the Bible and really say, what does God say about this? And I shared with you guys last week that as I got older, I realized there were a lot of things that if you asked me what the Bible really said, I couldn't exactly tell you. Like I maybe knew what I had heard about it at church or maybe I had heard from a certain preacher or this or that or maybe things that I had just inferred on my own. But if you really asked me, give me scripture and verse for this and show me what God says, I couldn't have done it. So I started sort of just anytime I encounter something where there's any gray area for me or where I'm thinking, I don't know what God says about that. What does the Bible say about that? Why do I say I believe that? If I'm going to stand here and tell you I believe X, Y, Z, I need to know why. It's so important. And I'll tell you what, that's going to safeguard us because right now in our culture, so many things are being said. So many things are being said. And they're being said really loudly. And even sometimes in the church, they're being said really loudly. And in order to not be led astray or misled or tricked or fooled, I've got to keep coming back to say, what does the Bible say? Not what does a TED Talk say, and I love TED Talks, but not what does a professor say, and not what does a great preacher say. Sometimes I hear people preach, and they're so great, but I don't really know where they got their material from because they didn't bring up the Bible at all. And I'm like, well, that sounded nice, but I, is that actually in the Bible? So that's the whole point of last week and this week is to come together and really open our Bible and see what does God really say about things because I don't just want my opinion and I don't want to make up my own beliefs. I'm not that smart. I'm not that talented. I don't want to determine what I believe. I want God to determine what I believe. So last week we talked about drinking and drugs. Did you guys have a good time? Okay. On a scale of like one to five, one being minimal discomfort, five being maximum discomfort, you guys were only at like a two. So last week was great. I had a wonderful time. But we're going to have a great time tonight too, okay? I'm going to talk to you guys super frankly about some things because everybody else is talking to you super frankly about these things, right? Sometimes we're not used to hearing this kind of stuff in church. But I read a quote. This was just from like a girl on Instagram. So <laughs> this isn't from the Bible. But I thought her sentiment was so true. And she said, if we don't educate young Christians on how God designed sex, the world will. And it will be filled with deception and go completely against what God's design is. So as I said last week, I'm not trying to talk to you guys just about high school topics or what I think kids these days need to hear. That's not it. Most adults that I know in my life are tripped up by the things we talked about last week and the things we're going to talk about tonight. These aren't issues that are unique to middle school and high school. They're human issues. And right now they're cultural issues for us as well. So it's important to really know what we believe and why we believe it. But we're going to start by looking at one of our foundational verses again in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. And this is a little bit uh, of the, the emphasis and sort of the inspiration that this series came from. God is saying to us, Doom to you who call evil good and good evil, 
who put darkness in place of light and light in place of darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So what is he saying to us? Hey, it's really important that you don't get things mixed up, that things don't get crossed in your mind, that you don't allow the culture to take something that God called good and say that it's evil, and vice versa. That way I don't see something in the culture that the world is telling me is good, but God's saying, nope, that's dangerous. We've got to be able to discern between these two things. And I want to say to you tonight that sex is one of the greatest gifts from God that's been contorted into one of the greatest enemies from the devil, right? The greatest tools of destruction. And I do want to say to you, tonight is not about a list of do's and don'ts. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what to do and what not to do because it's not about that. But tonight is about looking at what God really made sex for. Why is it a thing? Why did he create it? What is its purpose? God creates things with purpose. And how do we need to view it? So the first thing I want to highlight tonight is, short and simple, sex is good, not bad. If you're taking notes, sex is good, not bad. Now, that might seem obvious to some of you, or it might be a real shock to some of you. I don't know. You could be on either side of that statement. But I do want to tell you that God made sex, and the Bible says God only makes good things. God created things in Genesis. He made the world, and what did he say at the end? It is good. God makes good things. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 7 that he's a good father and he gives good gifts. He has made gifts for me and you. And God does not create things that hurt our lives. And God doesn't create things that trip us up. And God doesn't create things that are dangerous. He creates things that are good. And sex is a good gift from our good father. If we know it came from God, we can know it's good. And that seems obvious, but we see in Genesis, God created the world, and when he made Adam and Eve, he said, it is good. And the Bible takes it a step further to point out that he made Adam a naked man and Eve a naked wife. God knew what he was doing. He wasn't surprised when they got a little closer and Adam started trying to find like a good playlist really quick. He knew what he was doing, setting up a naked man and a naked woman. God created them and said, this is good. This union is good. What these people are going to do is good. God's not a fool. He knew what he was doing. He knew what was going to happen. He set that up and said it was good. And we also see in the Old Testament, the book of Song of Solomon, um, okay, I'm not going to ask you if you've read it. You might be embarrassed to raise your hands. But that is an entire book about how good sex is. A whole book. A whole book in your Bible about how good sex is. So we cannot act like God is embarrassed of sex or that it's bad or that it's something he's keeping from us. He made it and he allowed a whole book in the Bible written by the wisest man of all time, I might add, to be included in this book where we live our lives out of, a whole book on sex. So where is this confusion? Because I personally, for sure, kind of went through middle and high school with the attitude of sex is bad. That's very bad. If you're doing that, that's very bad, right? How, well, how do we get confused on that? So I want to take you to a verse that I think might play a little part and give you an example here. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Ooh, wrong water. All right, God says to us here, run as fast as you can from all the ambitions and lusts of youth and chase after all that is pure. Whatever builds up your faith and deepens your love must come from your holy pursuit and live in peace with all of those who worship our Lord Jesus with pure hearts. So 
a lot of times when I grew up hearing about sex in the church, we spend a whole service looking at verses like this. And we're going to get to these verses later, so don't worry. Every verse in the Bible is a good verse. But I certainly came out of uh, some of those messages and teachings and services with the impression of just the first part of this. Run as fast as you can from sex. Run. Get away from it. Don't get even close. Don't look at it. Don't think about it. Don't touch it. Run. Get out of here. It's bad. So that was my thoughts a lot of times. And we do see throughout the Bible many verses with warnings such as this that say things like, go, run, flee, abstain, get away from. These verses are meant to safeguard us and make sure that we're using sex appropriately. But I think some of us have twisted that around to say that sex is like a forbidden bad thing, and it's not. God gives us a lot of instruction, and sex is good, but God is extremely clear that we've got to use it correctly because not only is it good, but the second thing I want to say about it tonight is that it is powerful. Sex is powerful. It is good, and it is so good, and it is very good. But it's powerful, and that's why we sometimes see some of these intense verses about it in the Bible. And we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 24 through 33 in the Passion. Now, you guys, just get ready. I got a real kick out of this at home, <laughs> but it's a little hefty. So let's read it together. Uh, it says, Truth is going to protect you from immorality and from the promiscuity of another man's wife. Your heart won't be enticed by her flatteries or lust over her beauty, nor will her suggestive ways conquer you. Are you picking up on the sexual tones in this? Prostitutes, re excuse me, <laughs> prostitutes reduce a man to poverty, and the adulteress steals your soul. She may even cost you your life. For how can a man light his pants on fire and not be burned? I don't know if anyone wants to print that on a Christian t-shirt. But the Bible says, how can a man light his pants on fire and not be burned? Can he walk over hot coals of fire and not blister his feet? What makes you think that you can sleep with another man's wife and not get caught? Do you really think you'll get away with it? Don't you know it will ruin your life? Sorry, you guys, these are the hefty verses. We're going to get to some of the good ones. <laughs> you can almost excuse a thief if he steals to feed his own family. But if he's caught, he still has to pay back what he stole. We can go on to verse 32. Don't be so stupid as to think you can get away with your adultery. It will destroy your life and you'll pay the price for the rest of your days. That is so heavy. You'll discover what humiliation, shame, and disgrace are all about. For no one will ever let you forget what you've done. Now, those verses are an earful, okay? <laughs> like, the, he was really on it in these verses. They were very intense. He did not mince his words. However, I'm going to bring us around to a place where we're not looking at those in a negative way tonight. But let's take what he's really saying. He's saying sex in the wrong way and in the wrong setting can destroy your life. But I think the real takeaway here is that sex is so powerful. And he describes it uh, in this verse like a fire. Who can light his pants on fire and not be burned? And, you know, the thing about fire is that it is a good thing, Right? Flashback to fourth grade history class, when the pioneers were moving across America in their covered wagons, how did they survive the harsh winters? Fire, right? 
Fire kept them warm. Fire, le- fire literally preserved their life. It gave them life. Fire is what led to um, the industrialization of America, right? The earliest machines and things ran on steam created by fire. Fire gives life. Fire brings advancement. Fire gives power and gives strength. But fire kills as well, right? People die in fires. And that's my takeaway from those verses. Sure, they were a little bit intense. And yes, they were a warning. But they were really saying, this is so powerful. Sexual things are so powerful. They are like fire. They can kill things if they're used the wrong way. But it can also bring life when it's used the right way. And something that I thought was so interesting, I read this online today. It's probably true-ish. I did not verify my source. But... I read that it takes a forest up to 80 years to recover from a fire. Up to 80 years to recover from a forest fire. And what I want to say from that is that God is a redeemer and God is a healer. But those verses were saying you cannot escape the effects of poor sexual decisions. You cannot escape being burned by that fire if you're using it in the wrong way. And I've seen so many people come into our church, be faithful members, be wonderful, wonderful people, and still be hung up and trying to regrow and rebuild from sexual mistakes from their past. It's not because God is mad at them. God loves them and he brings healing to areas of hurt and brokenness. But when you mess with something that is that powerful, The effects are long-lasting. It takes a forest 80 years to recover from a fire, and I see many, many adults that are a lot older than me that are still recovering from the sexual decisions they made in high school and as a young adult. That's how powerful this is. Now, we're going to get to the good part, I promise. I don't want this to, to be negative at all tonight, but these verses I thought were so powerful. God is saying, don't be fooled and think you can mess with this without being affected. Don't be fooled. If you use sex the wrong way, it will bring destruction. And the recovery is sometimes an extremely long process. However, I want to look at the other side of that. Because listen to me, any kind of power the devil tries to display and any kind of destruction, God is 10 times that or more. The power of God working towards the positive and bringing life to you is so much stronger than anything the devil can bring. So if we think about that kind of destruction, those verses were so intense saying, hey, these mistakes can literally kill you and ruin your life. If we bring that over into God's realm and say, hey, if you do this correctly and you use it the way that he created to, you will be astounded the life and the power that it can bring to you in a marriage situation. And here's the verses that I want to read to you straight out of my Bible, not up on the PowerPoint. If sex is that powerful when it's used incorrectly, it is even more powerful when it's used correctly. So we're going to go to Song of Psalms. Are you guys ready for this? The passion, so you know it's going to be pretty blunt. We're going to look, if you want to take notes and read this later when you're not around people, chapter 8, <laughs> verses 6 and 7. You guys just have to laugh. It, this is fun. All right. Are you ready? So if you're unfamiliar with this bur- book, it's like a whole peek into a diary of this guy and this girl who are about to get married, and they are crazy in love. And this whole book 
is about sex. If you're looking for pickup lines, I would actually not recommend going here because lots of them are about animals. And I just don't think if someone said that to me, I would respond very well. But these were different times, okay? This is hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I guess girls were looking for different kind of compliments, such as your nose is like the Tower of Babel. I don't even want you to bring up my nose, but okay. So <laughs> it's worth reading through just because it's hilarious. He talks about her ears. He's so in love with her that he just points out really bizarre parts of her body that I don't want to be complimented on, such as my nose and ears. But this is what he says at the end, okay? They're getting close to the wedding in the whole book. They're talking about how excited they are and, and how much passion they have for each other. But this is what he says to her. Fasten me upon your heart as a seal of fire forevermore. This living, consuming flame will seal you as a prisoner of my love. He sounds like he's in it for the long haul, right? He's using words like forever, consuming flame, my whole life. He says, my passion is stronger than the chains of death in the grave, right? Till death to us part. And as consuming as the flashes of fire from the burning heart of God. Place this fierce, unrelenting fire over your entire being. He says, rivers of pain and persecution will never extinguish this flame, and endless floods will be unable to quench the raging fire that burns within you. If you want to write that on your Valentine's cards this year, go ahead. But what is he saying? He's using a lot of words and a lot of, like, fire uh, allegations here just to say, hey, I'm in this forever. This cannot be broken. This love is forever. My passion for you is forever. Our union and our commitment is forever. That's the takeaway of what he's saying right before he's about to marry her. And I think that it is so interesting, and I'm going to make an, an interesting statement to say, I believe sex is really that powerful because the wisest man in the world could say that because of their passion and their sex life, their commitment was unbreakable. This was written by the wisest man of all time, okay? And God put it in the Bible for me and you. Now, I'm not saying sex is the only thing that will keep your marriage together, but he is saying, hey, because you and I are so passionate, because we are using this gift from God correctly, because we are experiencing this in the fullness of what God created it to be, this gift to you and me is going to keep us together forever. And the New Testament explains it this way. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 verses 29 through 32 in the Passion. It says, no one abuses his own body but pampers it, serving and satisfying its needs. And that's exactly what Christ does for his church. We'll pause here because I want to point out that when I was studying these verses, when it says serving and satisfying its needs, it's, it's using words that are sexual in the original language. I think that is so interesting that the next statement is that that is exactly what Christ does for his church. God is not trying to be vulgar or inappropriate, but he is saying he meets our needs in the most intimate, intense way possible. Because that's the most intimate, intense thing you and I can experience as humans, right? Our, our brain can only go so far. We're not infinite like God. But God is saying that's how close he can be to us and he can meet our needs. But he's also talking about a marriage in a relationship here. So in verse 30, it says, he serves it and satisfies us as members of his body. For this reason, a man is to leave his father and mother and lovingly hold to his wife since the two have become one flesh. 
And here's why I believe, oh, I forgot I included this verse. It's a good one too. <laughs> Sorry, we can go on to verse 32. That's perfect. He said, marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty, a great and sacred mystery meant to be a vivid example of Christ and his church. So first of all, in verse 32, this says marriage is way more than just a piece of paper. Our society and our culture has reduced marriage and really even mocked marriage to be a piece of paper or just a ceremony, something done at a courthouse. You might want to get married. You might not. I don't know. Do you like it? Do you not? Is marriage important to you? Is it not? That is such a uh, defamation, I could say, to marriage and what God really created it to be. God is saying marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty, a great and sacred mystery. Why? Because two are becoming one. And to piggyback off of what Solomon was saying, he was saying, hey, this passion and this gift of sex that God has given us is going to make us be able to stay together forever. We're going to be able to last. This covenant is not going to be broken. And that seems like a strong statement, but really God is saying it here as well, that when a man and a woman leave their father and mother and they come together in a marriage, two have become one flesh. And sex is the aspect of marriage that executes that miracle. Isn't that kind of crazy? Two people can become one? Isn't that so like Nicholas Sparks-ish? I hate to say it, but isn't that beautiful? Like two becoming one. Oh, isn't it just beautiful? It's so cool. And that's how God created it to be. But sex is the act and the gift that God has given us to really accomplish that spirit, soul, and body. Your wedding ceremony does not make you from two to one. Your gift of sex within your marriage makes you from two to one. This reveals that sex is an experience for our whole being, spirit, soul, and body. It's not just physical, but it's a powerful experience that literally is meant to take you and your spouse from two people to one person, functioning as God created you to. That is the amazing gift of sex. That's how powerful it is. It transforms your being and connects you with someone else. That's insane, right? And isn't that so different than what our culture says? Isn't that so different than your friends at school and, and the way that they're using sex? And we're not teaching this and saying this from a judgmental place, but I hope that I'm showing you there is such a higher place for sex to belong in your life. It's not just something physical. It's not just um, something fun on the weekends. It's not just, you know, something bad that you need to stay away from. No, it is a beautiful, holy gift that accomplishes such a huge miracle. Probably one of the biggest miracles in your life. Dr. Jacobs tells us the number one thing that you'll do is get saved, right? That's the biggest miracle you literally transform from a dead person to a living person that's huge but what does he say the next most important decision in your life is who you marry why because that's miraculous as well God brought you from death to life but then he's also looking through marriage and through the gift of sex to take you and somebody else from two people to one person that's amazing that's miraculous that is beautiful so let us not look on sex as something that's dirty or something that's bad or something that is, I don't know, scary, whatever you might think about it, it's miraculous. And it's a gift from God. And it is so powerful, it takes two people and brings them together into one. And because of that, because sex is good, and because sex is powerful, sex is also a target from the devil, or for the devil, excuse me. Sex is a target for the devil to attack. And I want to look at John 10. In verse 10, because this tells us exactly how the devil operates. A thief, it's talking about Satan, has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal 
and to slaughter and to destroy. But I, this is Jesus saying, have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. But we see here that the devil comes to steal, slaughter, and to destroy. And I think it's important to remember that Satan is not a creator. God is a creator. We see that in the whole first couple chapters of Genesis. God is a creator. He creates. And all Satan can really do is steal God's creation and twist it to bring destruction. God, or excuse me, Satan cannot make weapons. He can't make bad things. He, he cannot make anything. He's a fool. But he can take what God has made as a gift and twist it and use it as a weapon. And that's why sometimes the Bible has so many strong verses about sex is because it's saying, hey, it's good and it's really powerful, but you've got to know that it can be a weapon if you don't use it the right way. And a perfect example of this is in Genesis chapter 2. We don't have to turn there, but I'll just kind of summarize things. God created Adam and Eve, and he noted, like I said, that they were naked. But the next verse says... Or excuse me, the next statement after saying that, he says, they were naked and unashamed. And I think it's so interesting the Bible makes note of that. Because sex and nakedness is not meant to bring shame. God did not create them to bring shame. However, one of the biggest words associated with sexual experiences and sexual abuse is shame. That's how we identify the operation of the enemy and the work of the devil and say this is being used against us in a way that God didn't create it because God specifically said they were naked and not ashamed. There should be no shame attached to your, excuse me, attached to your sexuality or your nakedness or you using sex in the way God created to. He did not give that to us to shame us. There should be no shame. However, when we feel shame, that's the enemy working against us. God makes sex to be full of love and freedom, but the devil has distorted it and used it as a tool to bring shame. And I think that that is such a, an interesting illustration. You know, when you see people come forth with stories of uh, sexual abuse or mistreatment, even in the headlines, just almost always is the word shame. Just the word shame. That's not how God created this. That's not what this is for. Sex is so good that it is an easy target for Satan, and Satan loves to make people feel ashamed because I think, I'm not saying this from the Bible, but this is my own experience with people in my life, the number one thing that keeps them out of church is shame, right? They're ashamed of what they've done. They're ashamed. They don't want to come to church and be around me and you because they think we might judge them, or they don't want to come to God with all that baggage because God is holy and perfect and loving, and they're full of shame for what they've done. Shame keeps people away from God. And that's why Satan uses sex to bring so much shame. Uh, not only will it torment a person and, and be destructive to them, but many times it keeps them from God and keeps them out of church. And so this is where some of the more stern verses in the Bible come in, because God is saying, don't let Satan steal your sexuality and use it for something that will bring shame. Don't let him do it. That's where, like I said, those more intense verses where he was saying, don't light your pants on fire. You're going to get burned. You know, don't think you can escape it. Don't think you can run from the consequences. God's not being intense, but he's really just saying, hey, 
Satan's going to try and steal this beautiful gift from you. Don't let him. Make sure that you're really vigilant. Make sure that you view that as something that is so wonderful and so good and should be protected in your life. And I want to say we can look back at that verse in Isaiah, call back to that and say, God is saying, don't call evil good and good evil. And right now in our culture and even in the body of Christ, we see a lot of things being called good. And hear my heart on this, okay? We see many things being called good, things like um, pornography, things like masturbation, things like sex outside of marriage or gay marriage or LGBTQ sexuality. All of these things, not only in the world, but many times in the church are looked at and called good. When God is really saying, hey, those things are a misuse of this gift. So instead of this gift bringing powerful life to you, it's going to bring powerful destruction. We've got to see God's heart. God does not hate anyone. He's literally incapable of it. And you and I should also extend his love to every person, regardless of their choices or their lifestyle or who they choose to sleep with. We love them. But the wonderful thing about God is that he loves us so much that he tries to keep us safe and he shows us how to live our best life and how to walk in freedom and walk in health because God loves everyone regardless of what they do, but he gives us very specific instructions to go along with the gift of sex. He says this is good, but this is so powerful, so don't let it blow up your life, right? <laughs> let, it, let, it, let it bring like an explosion of good things to your marriage instead of an explosion of shame and destruction in your life. And to misuse sex and take it outside of marriage is to allow it to become a weapon that Satan can use against you rather than a gift that brings life to you and your spouse like God intended. And I want to say to you tonight, if you're struggling... God loves you, and we love you, and you are not bad because of sexual desires. We were created to be sexual beings. That's not an accident. God did that. God did it. We're supposed to be that way, but we're just supposed to use that gift in the way that he's instructed us to. So if you struggle with some of these things, um, maybe it's all just in your mind. Maybe sometimes it's physical issues or things that you've done or things that you want to do. You're not a bad person. You're human. <laughs> you're human and you're living in 2020. We love you and God loves you and there is freedom available. So I want to wrap up tonight by just saying, if you feel like any of these things are a struggle for you or do bring shame or torment to you, talk to one of your life group leaders or one of the leaders in the quarry about it because we're here to help you and love you and not judge you. And like I said, you're not bad just because of thoughts or desires or urges or whatever that's going on in your mind. We have an enemy who tries to distort this issue in our life so intensely, and you don't have to deal with that alone, and you don't have to walk through that alone. So I want to encourage you, if anything that I talked about tonight just made you um, feel guilty, feel shameful, feel uncomfortable, or feel like you don't belong, we love you, and you do belong, and I would just encourage you to talk to somebody that you trust, one of the leaders that you trust, that you can open up to about this and find help, because God has brought us together um, as a community, and as I said in the beginning of this, it's really important for us to talk about these things. We hear so much about sex, but we don't always hear a lot about it at church, and we're not always reading about it in the Bible, so don't handle that alone. Uh, don't deal with shame on your own. Don't deal with difficulties on your own. Talk to somebody and just realize you're only human and that's how they're going to treat you. So I want to encourage you as we close tonight, don't allow the devil to steal your sexuality and the amazing experiences that God has designed for you to have because sex is good. 
Sex is powerful, and it is a life-giving gift for your marriage that accomplishes the miracle of two people becoming one. So I love you guys tonight. I hope you're not too sweaty. I'm a little bit sweaty. (laughs) But thank you guys for listening and for hearing my heart on this. And how about we close in prayer? Honestly, at the end of tonight, I feel like...